0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to my review podcast. This will be the first time I've done a review podcast, so bear with me. I'm kind of winging it. Uh, I'm just going to cover the the highlights of the material that you need to know. Um, Trying to go into detail, um, but not a bunch so that I'm not uh, sitting here talking to you for an hour two hours or whatever uh, per episode. Um, I'm going to do a couple. I'll do the the unit one first, which is what we're fixing to do. Uh, unit two, I'm going to break up into the different uh, branches, and then we'll do unit three, four, and five, and then I'll have um, one or two more just about the uh, the test-taking stuff, about the FRQs, and things like that. So, um, just give me a chance to you know to review. Uh, this is something you can just listen to. Pop in your your headphones, and hopefully, uh, you know, get some content, some material that you can. So let's get going with Unit 1. Unit 1 is the constitutional underpinnings, um, and it's all about uh, the the stuff, kind of a mini U.S. history stuff, um, if you think back to to those days. Uh, And then we also get into federalism. So let's get going. Um, First off, you you need to know the ideas our government's based on. All right. That's um, John Locke's natural rights, um, the social contract. Uh, In Items like that. Remember, social contract just says that we as individuals, as a group of of people, uh, give up our ability and and right to govern ourselves and turn that over to the government, Um, and we agree to follow them and their rules, and in turn, the government agrees to make rules that are fair to us and that are going to take care of us to an extent, okay? Uh, Popular sovereignty is also a topic you need to know and understand, and that's just um, where we um, we get to make choices. Okay, uh, I think back to U.S. history. Uh, it was a big thing in um, the pre-Civil War popular sovereignty in some of those states, were whether they're going to be free or uh, slave states. And remember, Bleeding Kansas—they were going to let the, the state choose, uh, and that's what led to all that violence out there. So, popular sovereignty is just that we as individuals, as citizens, have choices. Okay. Uh, the Declaration of Independence was written by Thomas Jefferson. Uh, he did have some help with um, you know, Adams and Franklin and people like that. But Thomas Jefferson is the one that is given credit for it. And he is going to take a lot of his ideas from um, John Locke. Remember the natural rights, the right to life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, those were the natural rights that every person is guaranteed. Um, and that was the, the big thing there. Um Remember, it was us declaring our independence, and then also he listed the grievances we had against England and why we we didn't like them, and why they were they were breaking away. Um, Something we'll get to in a few minutes is the separation of powers. But uh, you know, just know that's a, another idea that we get from about our government, um, and that comes from from Baron de Montesquieu. is the whole separation of powers. We don't want one one person or one branch to have all the power, so we split them up. We have the president who's going to enforce the laws, the Congress who's going to uh, write the laws in the judicial branch that's going to uh, judge them. So we don't want one person to have all those powers. Uh, that'd be too much, okay? Uh, all right, so next up is representative democracies and how that works. Uh, and there's three things, three terms you got to know. First up is participatory democracy, okay? Um, and this one is just where it's a very... Uh, broad participation in politics. We want as many people out there voting, uh, running for office and, and get elected and, and, and just being involved in the, the political uh, in, in politics. OK, uh, the next one is pluralist and pluralist democracy is where it's going to be the the group based stuff. So uh, think interest groups and things like that. Um, and we're going to be in our groups. Okay. And uh, we're going to be trying to get involved in, in the government and maybe not necessarily through votes or through elections, but um, we want to impact uh, congressmen and their political decision making. That's what a uh, pluralist democracy is. And then lastly, is elite democracy. And that's where there's very few people. Okay. Very limited participation in politics. Um, and, you know, Uh, Some people think that's that's what we have because big business has such an impact on congressmen and things like that. Okay, Um, some documents you need to know, uh, Fed 10 and Brutus 1. um, We did these in a discussion. So if you want to reference that, it's on your E-Class page. You can always go back there and take a look at that. Uh, Fed 10, the main idea is about a large republic. And factions. OK. And remember that um, Madison is going to argue that a large republic will control factions by having all the factions. OK. And they'll kind of keep checks on each other. Uh, Brutus one. Remember the Brutus. That was a response to the Federalist Papers. Um, and, and number one is going to emphasize the small republic. OK. Um, and is concerned that a large republic is going to take away people's liberty and and, and rights and things like that, okay? So Fed 10 and Brutus 1. Um, Arcus Confederation, our first government, you do need to know that. Uh, the main idea there is that it's a weak government. Uh, it had all the power in the hands of the state. I shouldn't say all the power, but most of the power, most of the decision-making was in the hands of the states. Um, we had a very small, weak central government that couldn't do anything. <clears throat> Remember, they couldn't tax. Uh, they could not raise a military. Uh, and, and they could really just only ask the states to hey, can, can you do this? Can you pay us our taxes? Um, the states control everything trade, uh, printing money, and, and all those sorts of things. Okay. Uh, Shays Rebellion is the, the key thing there that showed the weaknesses of the articles. Uh, you know, In the grand scheme of things, it wasn't a huge deal, uh, but it did make people think, hey, you know what? This thing is not really working. We need to make some changes. And so they're going to go and we're going to have the Constitutional Convention. Remember, it was not the Constitutional Convention at the time because we were just going to rewrite the articles. And we eventually, after James Madison presented his Virginia plan aside, you know what? We're going to blow this whole thing up and we're just going to create a new government. And so the Constitution is going to come out of the Constitutional Convention. Okay. Uh, Some things you need to know from the convention. Obviously, the Constitution was written, but how do we get to that point? OK, uh, the big one is the Great Compromise or the Connecticut Compromise. You can you'll sometimes see it as either one. Uh, remember, this is the one that combined the Virginia, <clears throat> excuse me, and the New Jersey plans. Virginia plan called for representation based on population. So the large states were happy with this. And then the New Jersey plan was the rebuttal to that. And it called for, hey, this is we need equal representation. and So the small states like this. So that's where the argument comes from. And the Great Compromise comes along, the Connecticut Compromise, whichever one you want to call it, and let's combine them. And so now we have a House of Representatives based on population and we have a Senate based on equality. So everybody has the same amount of senators. Uh, The other one was the three-fifths compromise. And remember, in this one, uh, the problem here was that population was going to count for representation and for the amount of taxes you want to pay or you had to pay as a state. And so the South... Uh, they're arguing that the slave population should count for representation purposes. That's going to give them more power in the, the new house, but not for tax purposes. And the North was arguing the opposite. They wanted slaves to count for tax purposes, but not for representation purposes. And so that's where the three-fifths compromise comes from, where we'll count three-fifths of that population. Okay. Uh, and then the other one was about the importation of slaves. It's sometimes called the Commerce Clause. Or excuse me, not the Commerce Clause, the... Uh, Commerce Compromise, where the federal government agrees t- to not or the, the the government agrees we're not going to touch the, the slave trade until 1808, I think it was. Uh, so the importation of slaves could not be regulated uh, until then. OK. The Electoral College was also created uh, here because, to be honest, our founding fathers didn't trust us. Uh, they didn't trust um, the general population, uh, me and you. OK. To elect our leadership. So when you go to the polls, you're going to be voting for uh, a presidential candidate, um, but you're actually going to be voting for people who are going to elect them. Okay. So here in Georgia, we have 16 electoral votes. Uh, That's our House members, 14 of them, and our two senators. So every state has at least three two senators and one House member. Okay. Um, And whoever wins it, whoever wins the state gets those electoral votes. Most states are uh, winner-take-all. So even if you win by the smallest of margins in a state, uh, you get all of those votes. So whoever wins Georgia, even if it's by a small percentage point, they get all 16 votes, okay? Uh, You have to get to 270. So you have to get to 270. Uh, And this is why, you know, people are going to campaign in the large states, uh, places like Florida in Ohio and Pennsylvania, Georgia, okay, Texas, uh, all those with the high numbers. Uh, it might might be smart to look up a, a map since this is audio only, uh, and just take a look at the electoral votes that are out there, and you can kind of pick and choose and see. Okay, that's where they're going to be campaigning uh, in those places. So, um, if you have questions about the Electoral College, please come by. But it's where you're voting, okay, for for your presidential candidate, and they have to win that state to get the the electoral votes. Um, we'll talk more about the electoral college when we get to the, uh, campaigning and, and that sort of stuff, um, to that, to that unit, uh, in that podcast. Okay. Uh, article five details how to amend the constitution. And remember, there's a couple ways to amend it. Uh, either Congress can come up with an amendment or a national convention can come up with an amendment. All right. So, uh, either one, uh, the, the Congress, or the national convention, and then they can either send it to a bunch of different state conventions, or they can send it to the state legislatures. Uh, Throughout our history, we have done Congress to the state legislatures, just because it's, it's easier. It's there. um, They, we don't have to do anything special. It's just, here you go. They're all in place already. Then we don't have to call together a big giant national convention or state conventions and get delegates and things like that to those those places. So um, we're going to do that. Uh, once an amendment is created by Congress and sent out to the states, uh, it has to get two thirds. So it has to get thirty-five, or excuse me, thirty-eight of the thirty of the fifty states. Uh, two thirds. Uh, so it's it's not an easy number to get to. Um, we've had, uh, you know, since the the first ten Bill of Rights, we've had seventeen amendments passed. Uh, a couple have failed. Uh, the ERA is the most recent one to fail that I can remember. Uh, back in the, the was around for the 70s and then eventually died in, the, in 1982, okay? Uh, also remember the amendment process is purely legislative. The president cannot veto an amendment, so he has no say-so in it. And then uh, the Supreme Court or the court system cannot declare an amendment unconstitutional because once it's a, an amendment to the Constitution, it's constitutional. And think back to the uh, prohibition they created that with an amendment and then they had to uncreate it rid of it through an amendment okay uh the next document you need to know is federalist 51 and that's the uh provisions of separation of powers uh, and checks and balances and how they're going to control the abuses by the majorities okay Uh, once again the separation of powers comes from Montesquieu, and we're going to keep uh all those powers separate pretty simple don't get confused with checks and balances checks and balances are just the the watchdog function that each um, Branch has over the other. So the president can veto a law that Congress passes. Uh, Congress, the Senate specifically, gets to um, confirm all the president's treaties, all the president's com- uh, appointments and things like that. So just the the different checks and balances. Uh, and there's a listing uh, on E-Class. It might be a good idea to check that out. OK, uh, the impeachment process. Remember, the president and other uh, federal officials can be impeached. Impeachment is not kicking someone out. Impeachment is where the House of Representatives has decided that that individual has done something wrong. And there's three things that can get you impeached. Treason, bribery and high crimes and misdemeanors. Treason and bribery are pretty easy to to understand. Okay, Uh, Treason is well defined in the Constitution because our founding fathers had just created treason. So they're a little bit touchy about that uh bribery is pretty simple to understand the big broad one is high crimes and misdemeanors that can be anything okay bill clinton was uh impeached for perjury okay and lying under oath and obstruction of justice uh it could be it can be really anything okay any anything that the, the the house deems as a high crime and misdemeanor can be uh get you impeached once you are impeached there's a vote in the house they have to submit the articles of impeachment It gets voted on in the House of Representatives. Then it goes to the Senate. Okay, So if you are impeached, it goes to the Senate. The Senate holds a trial, uh, just like you you call witnesses and evidence is presented, all those sorts of things. And then the Senate will hold a vote, two-thirds, get you kicked out. We've never had a president kicked out. Remember, Andrew Johnson was impeached. Bill Clinton was impeached. Neither of them were kicked out by the Senate. They both survived their Senate trials. Uh, Richard Nixon would have been kicked out probably, more than likely. Can't say that for sure. But um, it was looking pretty good for him to be kicked out by the Senate. But he resigned before he could be impeached. And then he got pardoned by Ford. Okay. Um, exclusive. OK, so kind of moving on to uh, federalism. A little bit. Uh, remember, federalism is the that we have multiple governments have the ability to make laws that we have to follow. Um, we have the national government. We have the state governments. We have our local governments. So we have all these different. Um, different groups that, that have power over us. There's two types of powers. There's exclusive and concurrent, uh, exclusive powers are those powers that only the federal government has. Uh, and then there's exclusive powers only the states have. And then there's also concurrent powers, which is the powers that they share. Okay. So they can both tax us, um, and things like that. The federal government's the only one that can, uh, print money. The federal government is the only one that can control, uh, foreign trade. Okay. Uh, so there are some exclusive powers that are out there. Um, I'm not going to get into all of them. So you might want to take a look at it if you're, if you're not sure about that. Um, how does the federal government control states, uh, at the end of the day, it's going to be coming down to money. Remember this is the grants. Okay. Uh, and there's a couple of different types of grants that are out there. There's the categorical grants. These are the ones states don't like because these are the ones that come with strings attached. The so categorical grants, come with some kind of string. So you have to use the money for this or that. Uh, it cannot be used for anything else. Uh, and this is really the way the, the federal government can control states and make them do stuff. Okay. Uh, Civil rights act of 1964 um, was had a provision in it where the federal government could cut off funding, federal funding for states and localities that were not, or that were participating in racial discrimination. Okay. Okay. Uh, so all of a sudden, local government, state government start to, to integrate a little bit. OK, because, hey, my federal funding is going to be cut off. The other type is block, block grants. And those are kind of the free money uh, that the states can use how they want to. They don't have to uh, report to this, the, the, the federal government where they're spending that money. They can just kind of do what they want with it. So that's the kind they like. So grants, all that is, is the money. Uh, improvise the incentives for the states to do stuff. Uh, once that money starts to dry up, the states really are going to kind of fall in line. Okay, uh, the other piece there is mandates. Remember, there are mandates that the federal government creates and just says do this. Sometimes they're funded, sometimes they're unfunded. Uh, states do not like that when they're unfunded mandates because that's stuff they have to do with no money. No Child Left Behind was an unfunded mandate. Hey, you got to do this schools if if you fall if you don't meet yearly, annual yearly progress, then you have to provide all the stuff. And uh, if you don't, we're not going to give we're not going to give you money. If you don't, then you face some penalties. Okay. Uh, so next up is uh, the Tenth Amendment and the Fourteenth Amendment as related to the uh, the federalism. The Tenth Amendment is going to allow the states to do kind of not what they want to, but it does give them some powers as long as it's not specifically stated that they can't do it. The Tenth Amendment kind of allows them to do it. All right. Uh, the 14th Amendment, that's what defines a citizen. All right? States have to kind of enforce that. Uh, it also provides equal protection and uh, due process. We'll talk more about the 14th Amendment in great detail when we get to um, the civil rights, civil liberties part. All right. Uh, the Commerce Clause. Remember, the Commerce Clause is the fact that the federal government controls interstate commerce. And that comes from the steamboat case, Gibbons versus Ogden, where they both had charters to be the only steamboat operators on the uh, Hudson River. And they they went to court over that. And the Supreme Court is going to say, you know what? States cannot give you uh, those charters. The only people, the only group that can control uh, the interstate commerce is the the federal government and in congress and so uh from that they have taken that to use uh use their power to get into court cases all over the place we'll talk about those in just a second okay uh necessary and proper clause the the congress as long as they're doing stuff that's kind of listed somewhat in the constitution then they can they can do it all right it's, this is the stretching of their powers um the commerce clause is also used to stretch their powers and um it's kind of the elastic clause where it doesn't necessarily state in the Constitution, but we're going to do it. Think back to Jefferson and the whole purchasing of the Louisiana Purchase. He really wrestled with that decision. Am I allowed to do this? OK, does the Constitution give me the federal government the power to expand the country? And finally, he decided that, yeah, uh, he can do that. OK, Uh the powers, there's the powers kind of like expressed. They're written, spelled out. Implied powers are those powers that uh, we have to stretch a little bit. That's the whole elastic clause thing. OK, a couple of court cases from this section is McCullough versus Maryland and the U.S. versus Lopez. and I'll reference a few other uh, court cases, but uh, we'll talk specifically about McCullough versus Maryland and U.S. versus Lopez. McCullough versus Maryland is the uh, the Bank of the United States case. Um, Maryland did not like it. And they said the government does not have power. The federal government does not have power to create a Bank of the United States. It does not say in the Constitution that they can create this. thing. OK, uh, so M- Maryland is going to tax uh, the Bank of the United States out of existence. And McCullough is the, the treasurer of the bank or something like that. He's the one not paying the taxes, basically. And it goes to the court. The Supreme Court gets it. And uh, you know Maryland's saying they don't have the power to create this thing. Well, the, the Supreme Court says, no, they do. And that this backs up the necessary and proper clause, the implied powers part. Uh, and it also is going to create the uh, idea that federal laws uh, come before state laws and state ideas. Okay. Um, now the commerce clause is going to be used by the, the federal government to get involved when they want to uh, in court cases. Um, <clears throat> the uh, heart of Atlanta motel case comes to mind with this, where the, uh, the motel in Atlanta was not, um, was not serving African-American customers as they were supposed to by the Civil Rights Act. The state of Georgia was not doing anything. So the, uh, the federal government said, hey, Commerce Clause, you serve customers from different states. That's interstate commerce. We're coming in, and they ended up enforcing the Civil Rights Act on them. Um, sometimes they get denied, though. Uh, US versus Lopez is one of those cases. Uh, Lopez violated uh, the Gun Free School Zone Act, uh, said it in the state of California. He was charged there. Okay. The federal government decided we want to charge them, too. And so they try to get involved and they say, hey, schooling uh, is uh, interstate commerce. And the case was against what was Lopez saying, hey, the federal government should not be involved in this. And the Supreme Court is going to agree with them uh, that the the federal government was overstepping their bounds here with the commerce clause uh, and they could not be involved. Same thing happened in U.S. versus Morrison. Uh, this was the attack in Virginia Tech. And the the case really the U.S. versus Morrison is not to do with the attack, but the fact that uh, Morrison did not want the federal government to be involved and be able to enforce uh, the federal statutes. And the Supreme Court is going to once again rule in favor of the, the uh, Morrison and not the U.S. and saying, hey, you're overstepping your bounds with the Commerce Clause here. OK, um, I think that's about it for uh, this podcast. Uh, so. Hopefully uh, you got some stuff. You have. If you have questions about this stuff, uh, find a way to get a hold of me. There's all kinds of ways to you know, email uh, the one account, you can email me at the uh, my Yahoo account, my personal coach D underscore 1977 at Yahoo.com. The reminds out there. If you want to be on the remind text, uh, you can join that. Okay, you got to text the code to 81010. The code is at c9dg2ek those are all lowercase once again it's at c9dg2ek and you text it to 81010 i'll be sending out daily uh content stuff you ask questions there if you need to Uh, also we'll have some uh, online review sessions where you can attend or they'll be recorded and you can Uh, get them there trying to do as much as I can to get you as much content as possible without you having to do much. All right. Hope everyone has a great day and I'll see you next time.